and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Hunter. Hey. Greg. Hello. And Leslie. Hi. And we're going to talk about the people that we've met and specifically interviewed during our Jenga interviews and some of our favorite moments from those interviews, and you'll get to listen in on those. So, Hunter, why don't you start us off? Sure. So, I really found it fascinating talking to Isaac Childress, the designer of Gloomhaven, founders of Gloomhaven and Forge War and upcoming Dark Tower that he's designing with, uh, I believe, Rob Davio. I believe that's correct. I thought it was very interesting to hear some of his stories about going from like not being a part of the community of designers and publishers to producing this monster of a game that is unlike anything else that's out there. And the fact that he wasn't really a dungeon crawl kind of player. He likes Euro games. So he, you can see that in the game that he made. And I think that's really fascinating. Uh, I would like to know what the experience has been like to go from, uh, we were doing a little research about you before this, that you were uh, doing, looking into physics. Yeah. And uh, what it was like to go from doing something like that to go into game design and starting your own company to then kind of hitting that like nerd celebrity level where like <laughs> you go from just doing that to being kind of, you know, people are you know interested in talking to you and are excited about like the things you're doing, how, yeah. just how that experience has been for you. Uh, it's, it's been totally crazy. Um, but also like not overwhelmingly so, right? So like, yeah, it's this, it's this kind of weird thing. Like you're saying, like I go to conventions and I'm like a famous person. Like I'm like a, like a board game rock star, you know? so, <laughs> which is very weird for me. Cause like, I'm kind of introverted and it's just, uh, it's like everyone wants to like, you know, shake your hand and have you sign things, which I'm like totally happy to do. I love, I love meeting my fans. Um, but yeah, the, but also like, you know, I go back home and like everyday life, like I'm just a normal person. I go to the grocery store. No one knows who I am, <laughs> uh, which is perfect, right? Like you don't want to go to the grocery store and be bothered by people like trying to shake your hand and take pictures of you. But like, you know, cause you go to a convention, you've got that choice of like, yeah, I want to go to this convention. Mm -hmm. I want to see my fans and, and do that whole thing. And then I want to go back to my normal life where I can just do whatever I want and not be bothered. Yeah. Um, so it's like the best of both worlds to, to be sort of like famous in this very niche industry. Um, so yeah, I really love it. And yeah, like in back when I was working in physics, it just, you know, it's not a, it's not a creative thing. Mm -hmm. It's very like just controlled and you, you know, you're doing all the, all the calculations and whatnot. And it's, there's like no creative outlets. And so I, I, I find what I'm doing now to be a lot more, a lot more satisfying mm. and so it's just it's been really just fantastic all around I, I couldn't be happier nice good. good i also had a chance to talk to isaac i was in that interview as well and one of the things that i loved hearing from him about was sort of the world building and how that informed the design as well so hearing from him about when in the design cycle exactly some of the characters emerged and what factors influenced them was really cool to see that sort of peek behind the curtain. Uh, I always like to, you know, create my own world. I, I, I've never opened like a source book or anything like that. It's just like, I like the system, but I want to like do my own thing. Sure. And create my own monsters and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so yeah, like, you know, I had this idea for this dungeon crawl game. And, you know, initially while I was playtesting it, it was like, it was like orcs and elves, or I don't know if they're, anyway, it was like orcs and whatever. Uh, this was pretty standard Tolkien, but you know, at some point I was like, you know, if I want this to be like a big thing, 
I really enjoy this aspect of 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 this creative process of of coming up with these worlds and and all this um, you know just new fantasy elements. You know, so why you know why should I let like J.R. Tolkien have all the fun? Like, let's, <laughs> let's have some fun myself and create my own world. There you go. Uh, and it really was, yeah, it wasn't like an old D and D campaign or anything like that. It was just like, yeah, I sat down and I just started thinking about like what races I wanted, like what, yeah, what fit within like the classes I already designed, and um, yeah, like what did I, yeah, what did I want to see for this world in terms of like diversity and. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it was just this process of sort of building up this world and doing all this world building to try and figure out all the different races and how they interact with each other. And yeah, so yeah, it was, it was fun. Cool. Uh, and actually, a <laughs> quick follow up question. Uh, the Savas is personally my favorite race. I think yeah. it's a fascinating concept of sort of race that's tied inherently to elements that are yeah. literally physically in them. How did, how did you find that? Because that's really cool to me. <laughs> Um, so the the uh, locked Savas class is the first um, you know Savas class that I designed, and yeah, it really was just that idea of like elemental mastery, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I I thought it'd be cool if they were all just like rock people. <laughs> well, there you go. I, so, yeah, it's hard to say like where these ideas come from exactly. Don't be afraid to do a thing just because it sounds cool. Yeah, yeah this is cool. Like there's these rock people and they're like really good at like controlling these elements. Um, but yeah, I really think the, you know, the Cragheart that sort of came from that sort of after the fact, like I designed the Cragheart during the Kickstarter campaign because people wanted more starting classes. Oh, wow. And at that point I just had one Savas race. So I'm like, oh, you know, what would be cool for like another Savas? And it's like, you know, maybe he's like kicked out of his society and like, you know, it's, chest was smashed and he was just like this really angry guy who couldn't control himself and um yeah i just sort of went with that and it ended up being like this really cool concept that really resonated with people i think one of our favorite interviews that we had certainly at this origins but i would say probably ever was with alex roberts oh my gosh who i mean <laughs> she designed starcrossed which is a game that has a jenga tower or i forget the an uneven tile block structure i forget what the sort of genericized term they use in the rule book is but it has one of those at the core of the game so she absolutely just showed us up yeah she twisted the tower in the middle of the interview and we straight up forgot what was happening or what our questions were and she just stood there calmly like are you nervous am oh. i making you nervous and with a look <laughs> on her face of like just smugness like yes. she, she knew what she was doing uh, oh is this my turn? Turn? Yep. that's right you took the blue I'm trying to, I'm, I keep forgetting where we are. We're dead. We're back to red. Are you guys getting nervous about the tower? Do you think it's going to fall? I mean, a little bit, but I mean, <laughs> it's fine. She's played some Jenga. No fear. This was a mistake. You're too good at this. No. Um, What's your question? I, I don't remember. Um, I, I just completely don't remember. Uh, I have to think of a new one. All right, Red, gaming industry. We talked about publishers. We talked about things. Um, uh, Another of our favorite interviews has to go to Eric Royce, designer of Spirit Island, still to this day my favorite game. It was so amazing to get to talk to him about the spirits themselves. You know, these these wonderfully evocative thematic entities and hearing how, you know, they can go from sort of a nascent idea 
to something that's on paper to, okay, well, maybe this concept isn't working. Let's spin it off into its own spirit. So hearing about how each of these things really came into being, because they do feel like almost living, breathing things, uh, was so fascinating. Do you have one in mind? Oh, I think it's your turn. Okay. Uh, we're going to trade off. I think. <laughs> um, so with Spirit Island, you have so many different game elements that can be swapped out almost very modular. You've got mm -hmm. the different spirits, you've got the different adversaries, you've got the different scenarios. Mm -hmm. How, what was the process of balancing each of those things like? Was it just play test, play test, play test, tinker? Mm -hmm. Or did you sort of have in mind uh, almost like a master design document where you said, okay, I know that these need to be balanced around a very specific thing and then sort of just pivot around that? We're neither of the above. I don't know anything about so games. So right? it's kind of different <laughs> for all three. Uh, the simplest one is scenarios, so I'll answer them first. Scenarios, they're modular unto themselves. You can play them in conjunction with an adversary, but often don't, uh, don't have to. So they are just like, come up with an idea, test it to get the dynamics right, and then make sure that the difficulty falls within a very broad range. Mm -hmm. like, I like them to generally be at least, you know, I usually make like to, to like them to not make the game easier, or if so, not substantially easier. Sure. And it's nice to have them be no higher than difficulty four or five, so you can combine them with an adversary for different flavors if you're a high-level player. Uh, but beyond that, it's like eh, let's just find out how difficult it is. Like I don't have a target in mind, uh, and balance is mostly a matter of making sure that it doesn't change the game in ways which make it unfun for an entire swath of spirits. Or right. If so, like calling that out on the adversary card, saying right. like, you know, or the scenario card, like this is a lot harder for these spirits. Yeah, and that, the game does a very good job of that. Thank you, you do a very good job. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's sometimes tricky to foresee. I don't always catch all of them. And with new spirits coming in Jagged Earth, it's becoming even trickier because there's more and more and more. Right. It's like, oh, wait, this one out of 24 uh, doesn't work as well. But for adversaries, usually those get designed around a central conceit of some sort, which right. may be thematic or mechanical. And... The, the details of that conceit will usually usually take like one to three levels of the adversary. So uh, they aren't always layered on at once. Like France has, you know, first the extra explorers and then the explorers turn into towns after you build. Right. And sort of those two together plus the slave rebellion are sort of like, that's the core of France. And then everything else is just small additions. Uh, so I'll usually try and get the dynamics working on the core level, core uh, things, and then try and find other thematically appropriate difficulty adds which step it up in reasonable increments so you don't have like difficulty one, difficulty two, difficulty nine, yeah. difficulty ten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Quite a bit of a jump there. Exactly. Uh, the spirits, the original, in the original game, well, I'll talk about that in a second. For the spirits, it's a lot of iteration. Like you start sure. off with, here's an idea, try something, and the, the early testing all has to be about game dynamics and feel and is the core concept fun? And then from there, you narrow into balance. Uh, it is easier to make a less powerful spirit to give it power and, and, and make it balanced than it is to trim down power level because when you're trimming down power level, you sometimes cut away part of what made it fun. Right. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if you when you're testing a spirit, if it's underpowered, testers will tend to not have as good a time. Right. So Power is fun. It's true. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. There was, there was one spirit which was a candidate for Jagged Earth, which didn't make it in, where one of my sort of early testers who sees things before anybody else does was like, that game was fantastically fun. I'm pretty sure this spirit is hideously broken because <laughs> uh, I shouldn't have been able to do that. You know, uh, the, so that sort of now, originally though, there was this 
see, because when I was doing the initial development, okay, we have these spirits and we have these adversaries, but I don't have any calibration yet. There's no firm point. Right. So it was all very like iterative, like, okay, here's a bunch of spirits, here's a bunch of adversaries. Let's try playing games. All right. So these are better and these are worse and okay, nudge a little, like try and pat, 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 get them into a pat, pat, you know, roughly comparable power band. Uh, so just lots and lots of iteration, lots of trial and error. Interviewing you know, the designer of your favorite game. I try to go in with no expectations because you don't know. They might be totally boring in person. Eric was not. No. We were not disappointed. No. Two of my favorite moments was A, something that Greg mentioned and hearing how things developed. And Eric made a comment about how making the mechanics of the game feel like you were doing the thing that the action was happening and that really stood out to me because theme is so so important to me in games and it really like drove home why this is my favorite game also just hearing his theory about hobbies (laughs) (laughs) and how you can get better at hobbies slower but more things if you do them at this planned rate he has his hobby list planned out for something like the next 10 or 15 years and um given that my hobby is hobbies uh it it really made me stop and think about how i can maybe get better at weaving in 10 years because maybe then i'll pick that up because i will have mastered something else oh you got a green one a little green one a little goofiness going on here okay elephants (laughs) <laughs> That's a great answer. That's What's great. the question? Uh. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask my favorite green question, which is outside of games, mm-hmm. what other hobbies do you have? Uh, I have a lot of very hobbies. Excited. More than I have time for, by Same. a large factor. Even before I had kids, that was true. I'm, now it is even more true. I'm just going to let my you knitting, two talk about my it. My knitting students say that my hobby is hobbies. <laughs> That's a great way to phrase it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, a few of them. I, I, I'll just rattle off a list and brainstorm, and then you can uh, uh, ask about any particular ones which pique your interest. Uh, Perfect. A number of these are going to be things which I may not have done for between five and ten years sure. because, like, I did them once upon a time, but I haven't gone back to them. Uh, so let's see. Um, Dance, Dance Revolution, nice. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, nice. reading, role playing games, uh, parkour, uh, rock climbing. Uh, taiko drumming, um, music is—I'll uh, call it a hobby. Um, I've—I've uh, done—I've dabbled in electronic composition. Uh, I have no formal background in music other than half a dozen years of piano playing. But it's something I want to get back to one of these decades. Uh, the no, seriously, this is how I organize my hobbies. Uh, it's—I have this theory. Do you mind digressions? No, no go for it. Uh, so I have this theory where, like, okay, if I'm going to. Um, Let's say I want to study four different things. You can either like get good at one thing and then move on to the next, or you can try and do them all in rotation. And if you do them all in rotation, you're going to get good at each of them much more slowly. Yeah. Uh, not just because of the innate effect, because you'll forget things between. Like if you imagine, you know, practicing piano every week for three months versus piano practicing piano one week out of the year for twelve years, you're going to get better in the first case than in the second case. Yeah. Same sort of thing. So it's like okay. What do I want to focus on now? So for the things where I feel like I really might want to dive deep in them, and game design was one of those, it's like, all right, here are those things. uh, That's why I say sort of a hobby. It's like sort of a hobby, sort of something I want to get more into. Uh, Here's the thing. Let's focus on this one and get really, really good to the point where even when I'm not focusing on it super strongly, I'm still fairly good at it. Um, And then, okay, now I'll try adding another thing to my portfolio. Sure. So, yeah. um, 
let's see, uh, programming. Uh, that was you know career for a long time, but also just something I love doing. I've been coding since I was like eight, nice. uh, and uh, it's it's really fun. Uh, Let's see, what else? Uh, archery, uh, the... <laughs> Everything, this guy, this is a renaissance man right here. I don't do any, um, uh, uh, I've not done any knitting or uh, what are they, uh, uh, um, crochet. Knitting, crochet. There's a generic yeah. term for it, which I'm blanking on. Uh, fiber arts. Fiber arts, that's it, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I haven't done any fiber arts. Um, let's see. Uh, I do all of them. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, she almost has her own sheep. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I do have a fleece in my basement. <laughs> See, that's like halfway to a sheep. Yeah. The uh, uh, I'll do like you know puzzles or puzzle making. Yeah. And, um, the uh, you know not not a lot, but uh, it was a you know I like I, I like I make a treasure hunt for my my kids for each of their birthdays. Sure. And sure. That kind of thing. Nice. Uh, oh, uh, jam making. Uh, oh, I, I also make jam. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I used to do that a lot. We actually when we moved to our current place, right, we planted uh, fruit trees nice. and. We're hoping, like they're getting to the point now where they will bear fruit, but we need to devise a system to keep the birds from eating it all, so. Yeah, we have raspberries and, and strawberries in our backyard. Not in such quantities that I can make jam from, yep. but we have the same bird problem and yes. squirrels. All right. Dastardly yeah. squirrels. Right. If I think of any others, I'll randomly interject. Any questions <laughs> on any of those? No, no I mean, uh, we did it. That was an interesting deep dive in just your philosophy of hobbies. Yeah, yeah. that was no, really cool. That was awesome. All right. Uh, it's your I think turn. it's your, your brick. Your your, uh, let's see. This brick block. What do we call these? Bricks? A quick trick brick stack. There you go. Oh. I like hawks and socks. One of our other interviews was uh, with Hunter from Pandasaurus Games. And actually, if you remember from last week, we had mentioned that uh, the components were one of the highlights of Dead Man's Cabal. This was a really interesting sort of revelation from him about how the components really informed the design of the game. So this was super fun to, again, peek behind the curtain. I guess that's a theme for me today. Uh, yeah, these components were like a huge part of the uh, game for us. Uh, when Daniel made this, he actually had skulls. It was some, uh, I think it was like little uh, plastic or wooden skulls or something like that. They weren't these exactly, but uh, there's these, just these skulls he, he found in a shop or something. And he's like, I want to make this a game component. So he, he started with the component. That, Interesting. It, that's another thing. Go back to like designers, like all designers kind of working a little bit differently. Like right. he, he started with a component. It didn't even start closest. We actually, he actually did a uh, designer's diary for us on Board Game Geek. And yeah. it explains a little bit of the background, but it's essentially started like as a bluffing deduction game. Okay. And then it, it was like, it just warped into a midweight Euro game. Right, but the, like the constant was always the, the skulls. the skulls, like the skulls were always there, so we had to have the skulls. Interesting. The bones were there, we had to have bones, so we, we, we had to make the components look really cool for well, it. And I mean, yeah, when you've got, you know, a feature as iconic as these skulls, like, mm. you got to build around it. Absolutely. I also got to interview Emerson Matsuchi, and that was my first interview. And I did that with Leslie, which was really great to be able to bounce questions back and forth with her. We are a really good team, so I enjoyed that part of it. But as far as the person we were interviewing, I really enjoyed talking to him about his background in IT and how some of his background kind of influenced some of the things that he decided to do and also what he's looking at in the future as far as incorporating apps and looking at the way his games work mechanically. There's a certain logic to them that as an IT person myself, I can see some of where he's coming from in that. And I think that's really fascinating. Hearing you talk about your, I was going to ask about your background. So you said you're IT related. Yeah. This is similar to me. I've been doing a little bit of design and I have also an IT background. I am curious if you've ever thought of 
doing something that has some sort of app integration, and if it did, <laughs> would you have some thoughts on how you wanted that to fit into the game? Oh, actually, yeah. App integration is something that I've, I've thought a lot about. And in fact, I worked on a couple of apps. Uh, one of it was the Data Winner uh, mm. Crossroads app for, for Plat Hat. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason that I took that project was I strongly felt that the app has to like add value but not be a necessary part yeah. of it. So, uh, because I think people still don't. We, we kind of like the purity of having a board game with components and having an app integration should just add some value to it rather than being something that is absolutely integrated mm. and cannot be separate. You don't want to be hamstrung if your phone runs out of batteries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So you don't want any kind of like te technical obstacles from sure. getting away from your, your game experience. So, and I've created, I've, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I've created the Spectre Ops app. So for one of my previous games with Plant Hat was a hidden movement game. We actually have it. That was the first it. game I bought of oh, yours. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, thank you. I created, I created a tablet-based app for it, which actually I'm quite proud of because it had a lot of the features in there, but it wasn't quite done yet. But, I mean, there's always, and it was something that isn't necessary for the game, but it's going to add value in that it's going to keep any human error from occurring. It's also going to give you the replay feature so you can see what happens step by step the game and I apologize to everyone because I know a lot of people have asked about that since I've shown it two years ago mm. at an 80% done state but I've just been so consumed with work. Uh, Century 3 took a lot longer yeah. than I had expected but yes I do want to do more development uh, but I think I'm also going to start delving a little bit into creating um, tablet games mm. so like one particular idea is to have a just a single smart device uh, and do a social deduction game. But instead of like having the close eyes and trying to see the correct amount of information, is that the app will handle it for you and you don't need any other components in that. So things like that where you get sort of a tabletop experience, but then instead of having components, you just have an app to facilitate uh, the game. So those are like some of the projects I'm looking into as well. That's interesting. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, interviewing Emerson was really cool. What really stood out to me with that interview is the fact that the whole Sentry system where you can have three different games that combine for an infinite or, well, not infinite, but up to eight games if you include the non-game <laughs> for that, listen to the interview. But the fact that that was an accident like he misunderstood something the marketing director said about having like an expansion or a new version of the game within the same universe and trilogies were cool and he took that as a challenge to make those games combinable which is just unheard of and so awesome and I hope that it takes off because I, I would like to see more of that in the world. So we are, we talked about this earlier, very curious about how you came up with this idea to create three games that ultimately make, was it seven or eight that do we do? <laughs> Uh, well, so we have a math person in our uh, her sister. sister my sister is a master's in math, and she, she did the, the math, and she was like, "Well, I guess the eighth option would be not to play at all." So it was like seven games. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. The eighth combination. Eight combinations, but one is to like a zero. Right. The zero, but no one no one plays a zero game, right? Right. Okay. So the, the uh, I can't take credit for the initial idea. Okay. That was actually Plan B. Okay. Uh, so the head of Plan B, Sophie Gravel, said that she she's seen in her experience because she used to be the former head of F2Z Entertainment, basically mm -hmm. like Z-Man, uh, which is now Asmodee, uh, North America. 
she said in her experience, uh, a product that is, you know, that's announced as a series uh, does very well because it sends the message that that the this game is going to be supported. There will be additional products. You know, we're investing a lot into this. So it uh, subconsciously, I think it may draw some people in that way. Mm -hmm. So it was actually always her idea to make it a series of games. So she asked, can we make it a trilogy of games? And at that time, I only had Spice Road. Okay. Oh. And that was the original title. It was Spice Road, which became Caravan, which now became Century. But uh, it was her idea, and she asked, can we make additional games? And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, uh, so like different games is like mechanically different. And I was like, well, I think I can make like a, you know, put an integrated board into the second game, but I have no idea what to do with anything past that. And she says, okay, but you know, can we do something special, like make it mixable? And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, like like mix the games, mechanically different games together. Uh -huh. It's like, oh, okay, I've never I've never really done that before. Uh, but I, I did say that, like, yeah, I, I think I can do it. And then when they announced it, I said, you know, I'm going to have to commit to. <laughs> so it's really right after the announcement. That's when I actually got to work on building these these games. But the funny, it's a funny story is that when I went back to her. And you know, I explained you know, this is the the product line, and she told me that she was kind of. Uh, she said that you know I was expecting like Dominion and uh, was it Prosperity? I was like, oh, you mean a standalone expansion? <laughs> it's already after I had like developed all of this. Yeah. That that she was just expecting like a standalone expansion, and I guess we took it farther yeah. than what the what she was expecting, which I think I'm hoping she's happy with now. I mean. And of course, who could forget that we got to sit down with Josh Hipsher, of course, the person that we started this whole Jenga interview thing with. And one of the best parts was when we talked about the things that he really enjoys about going to conventions like Origins and then turned that question right around on Greg. Uh, we met you at Origins last year. Obviously, you're here at Origins again. Uh, when you come to a convention like this, what are some of your favorite things to do? Honestly, catch up with people. That's uh, that's probably my number one uh, yeah. because you have people who are from all around the country who all come to the same place, same time every year, and uh, it's just really great. Um, especially because um, with hobby game industry, it's just there. There's such a wide array of professions, mm -hmm. of things people like, of um, just at home, their lives can be a lot different. You know, my life is very different than someone who lives in Miami because they are like driving distance from the beach and they have a different culture there. And like, so getting to share that with a lot of people and, and come back every year, um, that's a really awesome thing. Also, being able to get all the food that's nearby, like oh, the North Market is yes. really close to here. North Market's so good. Oh, so good. Um, that and also like being able to eat with the people. Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately, like the main reason why I like board games so much is because of the interaction with other people, and so, like, just carry that on to other levels and with people that you don't see um, year round. So that's what I love about it. Very what about cool. you? Can I ask that? Is that? Uh, yeah, that's definitely the same for me. <laughs> having a having a chance to play with people that I don't usually see, games that I don't usually play. Mm. So you know, we obviously Jacob and I have. Uh, Jacob's collection. I was going to say our collection. That's a misnomer. It's Jacob's collection, um, and you know I see our our co-host Leslie and Hunter pretty regularly. But even in those contexts, there's games that we play a lot. Whereas in a situation like this, you know we have lots of games that we say, oh, this is a special occasion. Like let's bust it out. Yeah. Um, 
And so that's always a fun opportunity. And of course, getting to be, you know, getting to play some games with uh, the friends that we made at last year's convention, or you know, maybe some people that we haven't seen in years once we've been going to these things a little bit longer, um, is is a really cool opportunity. We also got to interview Cassie from Letterman Games, or she partners with Letterman Games. She spearheaded the localization of a game and also is now working on her own game. But surprise, surprise, the part that stood out to me is that she is looking to master like as many languages as possible. I, so I love language. Um, I've known, I learned Spanish when I was uh, in high school and I also learned sign language. And then in college I learned Hebrew and now I'm trying to learn Dutch. Um, and so Dutch I just- so pretty. I, I just <laughs> love really languages, pretty. and yeah. so it really was kind of like, you know, the perfect marriage to localize games, especially because I have a love for language. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's really cool to have someone send you an email and you're able to say, Dankjewel, and mm -hmm. you know that means thank you, and they're like, oh, you said thank you in my language, that's pretty yeah. cool. Right. And so it's just a really neat thing that I, I, like I said, it's like a good marriage to have yeah. that passion mm -hmm. and then be able to apply it to my other hobby of board games. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine it helps build so many relationships and open so many doors. It's been really cool. And, you know, I'm trying, I was speaking with someone the other day who's a, a Mexican publisher and he was talking about how it's really difficult to get games down into Mexico. And so we were able to talk, my Spanish isn't the best, but I was able to talk to him in Spanish and then he would mm. knew what I was saying and I could read what he was yeah. saying. And it was just a really cool experience. And yeah. it makes me feel good when I can do stuff like that. Maybe she needs to talk to Eric about how to plan out her mastery of languages. Like he plans out his hobby stuff maybe we could connect them you know there you go. collaboration board game networking apparently that is a thing that we're known for we were told by sam that rather than everyone being separate we just fold all of our friends together into one massive group which is apparently not normal well there you go i mean somebody's got to do it all righty and there you have it that's just a short look at some of our favorite moments from the jenga interviews at origins 2019